Satwinder, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and, and talk about the, uh, uh, the, the temple and then the, uh, the Sikh museum. Um, how, how did you get involved with this, with this organization and, and with the temple in the first place? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you for having me and coming to see our beautiful site. Uh, so the history of the Sikh temple obviously is very long, much longer than my tenure being in Canada. I came as an immigrant in 1975 and didn't move to Abbotsford permanently until about 1989. But I just remember being aware that there was a site in Abbotsford that was uh, uh, you know, the oldest Sikh temple and that it was very revered and loved by the community and there was lots of storytelling about the temple. Every time you spoke to someone they would say, oh I had been here or you know, I'd seen it. So Abbotsford to Sikhs and to Punjabis is a... Uh, uh, has a lot of historical relevance. So I, those were kind of just conversations that were happening around me. And it wasn't until I started working with the South Asian Studies Institute at UFB that I started looking at how do we tell the history of South Asian Canadians in a more robust, rich, uh, and truthful manner and, and correct the Canadian record. So it started from there that we did a 10-year project to really look at South Asian Canadian migration, issues of identity, issues of politics, issues of economic contributions, and this kept coming up. And then living in Abbotsford was, was an easy marker for me as well. So in 2007 is when uh, the uh, government was asked to, well, 2005 and six and seven is when they were asked to uh, designate the National Historic Site. And to me, that was a really significant moment because the Parks Canada came and did a uh, a conversation with us and wrote a statement up of significance and why it should be a National Historic Site. So, although I'm not from this area and I didn't grow up in this temple, at that time people told really nice stories about the temple. And it really uh, evoked in me a response about preservation and collection. Because we're an oral community and our history is passed down from generation to generation, but rarely is it written down. So uh, as I became more involved in writing histories of South Asians, this was a very much a, a number one kind of uh, spot because it was the only living legacy we have. We don't have a lot of temples left that were built at this time. The next Sikh temple would be in Paldi in, uh, near Duncan. And that one has a, a long history as well, but it's also a, a kind of a private temple owned by a family that, that built it in their little village. And this is a more public space. So I got involved and then once it was not designated National Historic Site, we really want to write the history of the Sikh temple. So we got the committee involved to say, you know, give us the task to do that work and they agreed. And from then on, it was just a dream come true. Uh, we built a national, we built a Sikh Heritage Museum here. We create exhibits every year. We encourage people to come and view the exhibits, have discussions, discourse, arguments, debates. We bring class, classes in. I hold my classes here. Uh, we bring school kids into the space because you can teach the history, but if you have something you can show them, the history becomes alive. So it's a bit of a, a, a winding road that got me to this spot. But once I got here, I really realized the significance of this space. The, uh, the process of, of achieving the, the, the heritage designation, how, how long... How long did that process take? What, was uh, it uh, several decades? Yeah, uh, no, no, it took about three year? years uh, okay. to get Parks Canada to recognize the space. And uh, of course, there was a lot of uh, back uh, 
backdoor politics that was involved with people talking to the MLA MPs and the Prime Minister of the time. Sheila Cox was the Minister of Canadian Heritage. She was really engaged. And I think six at the time in, you know, late 1999, I would say since my large bulge of immigrants came in the 70s, that group of immigrants really want to have leave something behind. They have this sense of you know preservation. Previously, I think people were in survival mode, and preservation was the last thing they were worried about. Although this site was preserved, it wasn't torn down, but it could have been, right? So I think the idea that the vagrancies of politics being as they are, and uh, societies running the affairs of these Gurdwaras, I think people wanted something that would give permanency to this place. So knowing that how temporary people's lives were with racism in the early years when they settled here, they could be deported at any time, they could be sent back, they themselves could fail to return. So I was struck by the idea that people wanted this to be a permanent space in Canadian history, as a Canadian monument. And so it took three years to get the Parks Canada to come and do the appraisal and reviews, but it didn't take that long. And then once the approval was given, then it took another couple of years to get it back, get it to its original glory mm -hmm. and furbish it to a way that it could be used again. Uh, the Gurdwara was always being, it's never shut down, it's always been, there's been no time when it's been closed, maybe a few weeks when they were doing some work. Um, so then the, the building was raised, uh, rocks were put in, foundation was made stronger, and lights were new, lights were put in, etc. That happened in 2007. Mm -hmm. And with, with that designation, did that... Um how, how did that impact the community? Did it change certain perceptions of, of the space? Yeah, like I said, um, the space itself gives us the evidence and the truth and the proof that we've been here for this long. Because, you know, we get asked all the time, where do you come from, right? Like, how long have you been here? And the idea that our history is longer than any individual and that our history is much deeper than just new immigrants arriving every day really gives us strength of conviction uh, about our role as Canadians. So I think there was a turning point in the sense that we feel, and I, nobody's taken that away from us, but I think just the ethos of Canada, that it's a white country, that it's built by white settlers, that other immigrants are only here at their beck and call, and that they're here for labor, and not here for their own fulfillment. You know, that's pretty difficult to stomach, you know, you, you kind of have to really think through that to say the rights afforded to any colonial powers that came here to settle and take away land from the First Nations and then have another set of people who come with the same aspirations to come and build a new country, uh, uh, but to give them second class citizenship. So I think there's been a shift in the sense that the pride and joy that people feel about their contributions, this is that significant site that there's evidence of that. You know, that people were here, you know, 107 years ago, 110 years ago, and that they built this with their own hands, and they built it so they could leave some, probably they weren't thinking that way, but they've left behind a legacy of, uh, of their kind of perseverance and their steadfast conviction that this country was also for them. And with that, with that affirmation that comes with recognition of the heritage site, did you find the surfacing or emerging of stories that had not yet oh, been yes. told? Mm -hmm. Did it really kind of open up the floodgates oh, of discussion? Yeah, absolutely, because the stories that we, like I, I told you, I had heard in passing at conversations at parties or events or family gatherings, 
you know, suddenly could be formalized. We could position them and place them in space and time and, and sight. So it wasn't just someone writing someone's story, it was real factual information that we were recording. And while people were, you know, happy to tell their stories, there was still a sense of their story wasn't important. There was still a sense of, I felt there was a sense, of, not reticence to tell the story, but a, a reticence to think that their story was important, that it mattered. And we had to, you know, work on that a lot, especially for women. I think men were happy to tell the story, because men are always in the public sphere. You know, women are in the background. They were always in the kitchen or in the background or at home. And women's stories were always like, well, why do you want to know my story? It's so simple. And once you start unearthing that and start asking the questions, they themselves start to recognize that their stories are of value. So I found that really heartening, uh, that we were able to turn the corner on that, and that we not just recorded histories of South Asian settlers in, in this town, but we went all across the province. And then once you did that, a man in Prince George said to me, he said, I'd never put my mind to this. You allowed me now to put my mind to something that I have just never thought about doing. So I'm hoping it's turn some levers and turn some keys and open some doors for people to say our history matters and that if we don't record it, our next generation will not be the beneficiaries of it. Because who is to say that with technology now, oral traditions are starting to be, you know, sidelined. Uh, people are more interested in reading what's on the TV and on a, a computer than they are hearing their grandparents tell the story. So that oral tradition is going to die. And with that, whole libraries are going to die. So. We have to, we're already 50 years behind, we're, we've lost some really important, significant stories. But whatever we can capture, and through those stories, the aggregate story of our migration comes out. The aggregate story of our experiences comes out. So you can say that, you know, hundreds of them had the same experience, that they were given less wages, they were not given housing, their wives and children couldn't join them. You know, racism was rampant. The, we talk about carding today in Ontario, I and mean, carding was happening here at that time. So. That aggregate story needs to be told. So we're not seeing it as individual stories that affected individuals, but that there was a Canadian narrative that overlay everybody else's experiences. And if you, when you, once you can tell that story, then you have a position in Canada. Then you can say, I belong. I, I have, this is my, my, my experience. This is my story. This is my history. So telling the stories, oh, Having this as a historic site, I think, made people realize that we already don't have enough artifacts, but the few that we have, we have to make more of them. We have to do something, unearth more. You know, if these walls could tell stories, they would. Uh, all we have is humans, you know, telling us stories of the past. And they're amazing stories. What are some of the events that you hold to facilitate these conversations? You, you made mention of, of of people as a form of historical document, as witness to the passing of time. What what are some what are some uh, techniques or, or mm -hmm. strategies for being able to gather some of the oral histories? Uh, number one, the issue of trust comes up. So when we start gathering histories, we have to first you know gain trust and respect. Uh, so that takes a bit of doing and time. Uh, we have taken the time over the last ten years to build our reputation as, as uh, people who research stories and record them and make sense of them and use them in 
ethical manners, you know, in the future. Because one of the issues with greening stories is that they have been done in the past, but by people who have not given them the due credit, or they've never heard what happened to their story. So we use ethical practice to do our, our storytelling and story gathering. Uh, and then it initially it started off with individuals. We had to find a few who would start the ball rolling. And there are always a few settler pioneer uh, families that were significant in terms of their position or power or wealth or whatever, you know, settlement phases. So those were the ones you go to initially, right? The East, the Gills, the Brars, the Sidhus, you know, they've been here a while, so you want to know their stories. And some of their stories have been recorded by other groups like the Reach and the MSA Museum. Uh, so we went to them first, and of course, once you go there, then other people say, oh, okay, you know, then you say, okay, I've done this, but we'd also like to hear your story. So the goal over time was not just the, the significant family members, but average Canadians, average people who came to this country want their stories as well. Because, yes, the, the contributions by some of the leaders are very critically important, but it's actually the, the human stories of people's, not just suffering, but their their triumphs and their successes and their challenges, you know, that's what is really going to feed our soul, our spirit. Uh, and then, as I said, uh, bringing them into the Gurdwara, you know, we did, uh, we would do uh, exhibit launches every time. We'd invite everybody in and then that was another way for them to know what we're doing. Initially, a number of them just wanted the photos of the sector pioneers up on the walls. They really didn't want us to have stories about other things. We did a story about, we did an exhibit on the turban. We did a story on music. We did a story on feminist ideology. And they were like, why are you doing this? Because the, the heritage, heritage work is very complicated in South Asian communities because they, it is not as sophisticated yet. It's still something we're grasping around. Um, survival delineates any ideas of heritage, right? Survival says, worry about tomorrow. It's not worried about yesterday. It's not preserving yesterday. So we're so behind. And to bring people into this realm of heritage work is very time consuming. And it's very motivational on our part. But it's very exhausting. Uh, and as I said, people don't think they have value. And that's part of the Canadian narrative that hasn't given value to people of color. That their stories aren't in the history books in our schools. Our children are not reading about themselves. They're always reading about the white settler. You know, so our kids come out of grade kindergarten to grade 12 thirsting, unknowingly thirsting for their own history. And once they get it, it's like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know. So, I, I, you know, our, our goal is to have curriculum reflect these histories so that this, this work gets embedded in the school system. So kids, I do believe a teacher should teach, read the room and teach to the room. The teacher should say, who is in my class? Do they feel that their stories are valued, that their, their everyday experiences have meaning? Uh, and that's coming up now, but you know, in the past it wasn't there. So kids grew up either denying their own history or um, internally thinking they were less important, so internalizing the racism, and that has detrimental effect for all of us. So our work has been multi-layered in the sense that you bring people in, you encourage them to tell their stories, you record their stories, you put them on the internet, you put them on the website, you bring them in as living storytellers in meetings, in discussion groups, you know, you, you get, give them awards, you tell them uh, we want to create a uh, film on you, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. They stand at the podium and tell their stories of ch as children, what they did here, ran around, there were apple trees here and they would steal the apples and 
not want to go up to hear the prayers. And, you know, those stories our kids, we had one where right in this room, there was a film going on about Palvi and a woman got up with photographs. A woman got up from the, and she went up, she said, that's me. She was in that picture. Like that chill just went through me and I thought, you know, no one had sat down with her and said, tell me your story. So I hope that people had, over time, the ones we've interviewed anyway, I hope that they understand the value of their story. I'm not sure that they do, but over time, and I think with younger generations suddenly reading about their elders, now they're saying, oh, okay, we matter. End of the day, it really is about who matters and why does history matter? Why do we need to look forward? With, a, with an interest in the heritage and, and speaking with, um, with older generations about, about the history of this temple and the community, are you finding that the younger generations are becoming somehow historically aware of the present about what they're up to? Uh, yeah, I would say there are two uh, ways to answer that question, two approaches that Sikh youth are taking. One is the internal work of within our communities to know our history and to understand where we come from and our, our values and our systems and belief structures and respect and all those things that we hold dear. That work has started, and that's been going on for a while. And there's lots of avenues for you to enter, take your kids to, and have them exposed to, and you know, then build on that in your homes. Whether it's through the Gurdwara or it's through nonprofit societies that are doing that work. So, youth camps and discourse discussions and online blogs, and you know, all that's going on. It's been amazing, amazing. Uh, and now we have a Sikh Research Institute that that puts out messaging around how do you understand the scriptures, the scriptures are in the old text. So that's one piece, right? The internal kind of, who am I? You know, what are my values? Where do I come from? That work needs to be done. But the second piece, which I'm really also excited about, is the whole kind of consciousness raising societally, globally, about global issues, right? Sikhs are now in the forefront of that as well. They've always believed that Sikhs are not just Sikhs for themselves. They have to be... They, we wear a kirpan for the, the men wear, men and women who are baptized wear this uh, dagger on their uh, left hip because it is, a, it is a, a signifying symbol that says you must not, you must come to the, um, to the protection of anyone who is oppressed, not just your own. So I think the consciousness around activism, we have leaders who are activists now in environmental issues, in uh, social justice causes, that has been really uplifting. So and that can't happen until they've done that first piece, right? Who am I? Where do I belong? What, am I, what is my kind of foundational tenets? What do I believe? And then to go into the world and try to fix, you know. So there's sick eco, eco uh, work going on, there's sick social justice work going on, there's sick religious education, sick politics, and all that's going on. But it's it's larger than that. They've, Sikhs are now involved in discussions and movements that are beyond just Sikhi, right? They've become more engaged in Black Lives Matter, you know, I Don't Know More, um, the Kamloops strategy. You know, I've seen this so much more maturity around that that's risen. And that could be just globalization, could be just we're more aware, information, technology, whatever. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, it's really good to see that Sikhs are not insular. Because I think the first 60, 70 years of our life, we were pretty insular. You know, we were worried about our own kind of internal and not 
partly because white Canada was also racist back, so people were, were a bit more uh, protectionist, they were holding back. Now I think Canadian kids, this is the largest South Asian second generation ever in the history of Canada who were born here. You know, they see their rights and responsibilities like everybody else's. They don't see it as unique or as only specific to Sikhi. They see it as a they see themselves as full-fledged, integrated, contributing citizens of Canada. That's the beauty of this work that we're seeing. How do you go about building exhibition? Uh, okay, you know, this is a, a labor of love. It's not my full-time job in any stretch of my imagination, but it's I have to find grants, I have to you know get funding to do this work. So partly it's driven by our need to find funding to keep this going, uh, and partly it's driven by this desire to to expose heritage to our communities, to take it out of a kind of a basement and bring people up into the ground floor and keep rising them up to the second floor and keep raising them. So museum attendance, as you know, is a very uh, affluent, white kind of visitor experience, right? Unless it's ethnocultural, like this is an ethnocultural museum, you know, we don't get a lot of white uh, visitors, we get a lot of sick visitors who come in. So what happens when they walk in through these doors? We, we curate exhibits in a way to expand the mind. We want them to go in places where they haven't thought, what they haven't thought about, or if they thought about it, just to build on that, to shine a light more. So obviously, some of them are marker exhibits, like Komagara Maruru, Gadar Movement, you know, they're kind of the 1907, the riots, 1914, you know, those are, we already know those, those are kind of significant dates. But in between those are exhibits about, our idea is to explore Sikh identity in, in many forms and manners, you know, through, because I'm a Sikh feminist, I see everything through that lens. I try to impose that lens on everything I do. So when we put up photographs of Sikh settlers, we want to make sure that there are photos of women, there are photos of children, that women's stories get told. You know, another person may not have done that, but that's my, my goal. Uh, the other is to, to bring exhibits from partners who, who are also doing work like us. So we don't have a lot of funding, so we're always looking for begging, borrowing, stealing, right? So this one is with the Vancouver Her uh, Maritime Museum. The next one is with the New Westminster Museum. They did an exhibit on the uh, temple in Queensboro. That's also 100 years old. It's no longer there, but it was 100 years old last year. And they did one in Oceans of Peace. So we're bringing that exhibit here. So this is a cultural space. We don't, we're not a class A museum or anything. We don't, we don't pretend to be anything than what we are. Uh, we try and bring in uh, story, stories that people can take away from with them when they leave. Uh, hopefully it's not so singularly minded that I'm trying to portray something, but that it has kind of universal resonance that everybody can read it and say, oh, okay, you know, this is what it means and this is what I can take away. Because there's a lot of curious people who come to the museum, but I'm not sure that they're museum visitors. Mm -hmm. I don't think they see themselves as museum visitors. That will happen over time. Mm. We call it the Sikh Heritage Museum, and partly because it's Sikh and heritage is something we're interested in, but the museum part is just a gathering space to us. It's a place for, as you said, a little bit of education, not with a heavy stick. You know, we're not trying to inculcate and change, brainstorm, brainwash people in their ideas. Just introducing them to new topics, new ideas, new things, new thoughts, uh, new ways of maybe 
questioning. We're not there yet. We're, we're nowhere near anybody questioning, you know, Sikh identity through our exhibits. Mm -hmm. But once we do sessions and we have uh, discussions and dialogue, I think that's when we see the you know, nature of how people are thinking and what they're thinking. We did an exhibit on We Are Hockey, which was nothing to do with Sikhi, but it was to do with how hockey is so white and that racism is so rampant within that institution. And we did a whole history of Sikhi. And people said, why are hockey? We said, because South Asian kids are so enamored with hockey. And it's in their daily experience. So why not? I mean, kids are wearing Canuck shirts and uh, whatever they're wearing, but they, this is part of their daily life. So I think we want to not just be stuck in the past, we want to make sure that we're uh, also exploring the, the present and the future. So down the road, we'll do more futuristic ideas. But for now, it's we can do anything, and everybody will be happy because there's been so little. Yeah. You know, then nobody's uh, questioning us why you're doing this or that. They're happy with whatever we put up. What are What are some you're mentioning? What are some conversations or, or histories or stories that you want to explore that you feel you've not yet. Uh, You've not yet um, brought up. <laughs> Ooh, these are, you know, minefields, some of them, right? Like, we really want to look at gender uh, from a male perspective. You know, it's not written about as much because although all our history books are written from the male perspective, for South Asian Canadians and for six, we really want to understand the position of the male in terms of patriarchy and really question, like, what is the role of patriarchy in Canada? So that's one. Number two is caste. Sikhi has no caste. Sikhi is supposed to be caste-free, uh, equitable, equal, egalitarian religion, but we practice caste. So unpacking caste, like what does, what, why do we have caste and what does it mean? How do we dismantle this, right? So that's the second one. Uh, a third is just the burdens of young people, like what are they facing? What are their identity politics? What is gay, lesbian rights issues? Like can we bring that into the Gurdwara? Uh, second, third, fourth generation marriages, like people who are in mixed family. That was never, it's not a discussion that happens here in the temples. People are kind of, if they discuss it, it's behind closed doors. So those are kind of lightning rod, difficult things that we're going to have to negotiate and kind of move around and find a way to discuss. I don't know if this is the space to do it. Maybe it's somewhere else. Maybe it's not here. But the religion is quiet on these topics. The issue of divorce, we know it happens, but no one discusses it. You know, we, we kind of valorize and keep showing the same family structure as if that is something we all espouse to, you know, the male, the female, the children, the white picket fence, the two cars. Is it really? Who have we excluded? Like, who is not here? Who is not in these walls? Whose stories are not told? Um, issues of class, social class, like, you know, we even in, in Abbotsford have, have divisions around social class. So these are more deeper dialogue, needing more negotiation kind of exhibits. I'm not sure we're ready yet for that, but we, we did one on Sikh feminism and we looked at the five articles of faith through a Sikh feminist lens and we thought there will be some, some backlash. Luckily there wasn't, not luckily, I shouldn't feel so lucky, I mean, I'm glad that there wasn't. Uh, but we need more discussion. But I think generally the the people that walk through these build, through the Heritage Museum and the Gurdwara just want to see a history. They they're so thirsting for that. We haven't even been able to quench that. You know, when do you get to the more messy underground issues that you need to raise? Like I said, we're in the basement yet. 
We haven't gotten to first floor. And the, the relationship of, of the active temple and the museum, how, how do you characterize that relationship? What is, how does it mix? How does it uh, engage We've been very each fortunate other? that uh, the, the committees that look after the affairs of the Gurdwara are very hands-off with the museum. They, we report to them, we let them know what we're doing. There's only been a few rubs here and there, but generally they see the museum space as an intellectual space and they see it as not connected to the Gurdwara in that way. We would like it to permeate. We would like it to move between both floors. We would like it to go back and forth. So, it, it, but right now they're pretty separate spaces, and there isn't a mixing. When we have our launches, we do go upstairs and we have our speeches upstairs and we talk about our exhibits and all that happens. But I feel like I feel like this is its own little entity. We're not six scholars. We're, we don't have a sick resident research scholar who is taking Sikhi as a tradition, as a religion, and entering from upstairs down here. We haven't done that. This is not a Sikh museum in terms of Sikhi as a religion. It is a heritage museum. It's about, we are discussing heritage, not so much Sikhi. So I feel that the day-to-day the -day relationship is very cordial, very collegial, but in terms of a, a framework, it's quite separate. They are two different entities. And I don't think they, I don't know where they meet, I don't know when they meet, I don't know when they will mesh. To, to finish up, what, what are some hopes and, and dreams and aspirations for, for, for the museum mm. into the future? <laughs> into the future. Well, I hope the museum will continue, right? This can any time be shut down. They could say, no, we don't want to have a museum here anymore. Mm. Uh, but this space will be vacant then. There's nothing going on here. There's no activity. So. One biggest, uh, my, my hope is that it will always be a, a gathering space. Um, but the larger, I guess the larger goal is for it to connect with other uh, sites of significance in the diaspora. Like we would love to do one with somehow connect in, on the internet, virtually, with Stockton Gurdwara, which is the next oldest, or the one in Palvi, or the one in Malaysia, or the one, you know, we need to, I would love to have a bit more global connectivity I don't know how that we can do that. We can, it can be done. This needs some time and energy to think about that. Um, and then the bigger hope, I guess, is that our exhibits uh, encourage critical thinking, that they question our existence, that they take us to new places, that we create a, a league of people who are questioning daily existence, not in a bad way, but in a good way, that keeps us motivated to keep growing know, intellectually, spiritually, physically, just keep growing as Canadians. And then the impact of this Sikh Heritage Museum on the surrounding communities. Like, we are a great part of Abbotsford's heritage, but I would love more people to know about our heritage, you know, whether we, how we do it online, through creating an archive, or, you know, letting students, one of the goals would be that more students go into museum studies that they take this work into other spaces across Canada. There's not a lot of students doing archival research, you know, we want them to go into training, so they do that. PhD scholars who come out that go and teach this stuff in the universities, people who write curriculum, you know, get, they start getting interested in this curriculum. So the dreams and ambitions are great, are large, but we're also kind of mindfully contained by a geography of small space and and 
it's okay. We, we don't want small minds. We just want uh, a small space that maybe creates great minds that younger people come in and are, are encouraged to think about them, to go home and ask questions of their elders. And you know, those are kind of insidious backhand kind of ways to make sure that students are engaged. But I hope this, this site will continue to be a really um, a monument of history and it will never be torn down and that you know, 200 years down maybe someone else will have thought about this space and what it signifies. Um, I'm limited by my own time and how much I can do but we do what we can and it's good enough. I'm not aspiring to be something I'm not. We don't have a collection space. We don't have anywhere to store it. So the government is talking about the South Asian Canadian Museum. I was I was going to ask uh, you about you mentioned uh, you know an interest in in uh, the generations being involved in museum studies and archival yes. studies. So what what are the thoughts about you know, paper records or archives? Or yeah, I mean collections. I, I hope that uh, well, number one, I think the Royal BC Museum has a huge responsibility to look at all its ethnic, ethnic communities across BC and, and and record their histories. I think they enough secular history, white secular history research and reporting that's been done. Like, let's look at who's missing, who's been excluded. So first of all, I think RBCM has a huge role to play. Uh, and then second, I think all uh, museums in towns like Surrey, Vancouver, Richmond, wherever, I mean, they really should be representative of their communities. If their archives don't reflect the histories of South Asian Canadians or Chinese Canadians or Japanese Canadians, why not? You know, why are we being forced to have create our own archive? It's fine, we can do that, but I think to be well integrated in Canadian society and to really impact Canadian history, we need to be integrated. Our history needs to be in the books, our history needs to be in the curriculum, our history needs to be in the archive. So someone wants to go and look, they don't have to dig hundreds of days to find something. And it's all, not just that, it's, it's incorrect. You know, there's a correction that's to be done. Words have been used that don't signify who we were. So as you know, with First Nations people, all that movement, you know, it's going to get 100 years to fix all that. Mm -hmm. So I would love to see a South Asian Canadian Museum that has a collections arm and that has an archival division. You know, over time we'll build it. But we have nothing. We have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So let's start. Let's see if we get going. So hopefully the South Asian Canadian Museum, which we're just having a conversation with the government about, will be in Surrey or Vancouver or somewhere, but can attach itself to a, a existing infrastructure. Because we don't have the money to create a new infrastructure. We actually don't even have archivists and curators that we could bring in, right, to start. We are community curators. So hopefully we can do that, and then over time people will see that, and young people will be at just, we've got a few who are doing archival studies now. We say, oh, thank goodness, you know, because how they their, their cultural uh, knowledge and their cultural awareness is so much greater. And they can easily look at a photograph and say, oh, I know this, this, and this. You know, I can find out more about this, this, and this. Uh, whereas someone who doesn't know wants to start from zero, and ground zero. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping there will be a South Asian Museum in the next few years, somewhere. That's an exciting, really an exciting <laughs> prospect for sure. It is, yeah. it is. Well, Sadwinder, thank you so much oh, for taking the time to sit down. My thanks are mine to you for yeah. taking the time. Well, all the best, and, uh, and we look forward to checking in and, and yes, seeing where things are sure, going. Yes, for right. sure. Thank you.